Hello, and welcome to another episode of Quilt Buzz, the podcast featuring your favorite folks from across the quiltiverse. I'm Amanda of Broadcloth Studio, and I'm joined by Anna of Wax and Wayne Studio. Hi, everyone. Wendy, the weekend quilter. Hey. And our special guest, Clara of Clara Narty. Hey. Now, before we jump into all our quilty fun today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Clara? I make portraits using fabrics and threads and my portraits feature black hairstyles to um, combat negative stereotypes about black hair and to help build confidence in little girls and women. So typically we start by asking the story behind uh, folks Instagram handles but um, yours is fairly self-explanatory so let's go ahead and jump in and could you tell us about your artistic journey Um, like when did you start and did someone teach you and are you self-taught or are you self-taught? So I'll start from the end I'm self-taught but um (laughs) (laughs) I'm self-taught and I started in a a non-traditional way I'd always been creative as a child I when I was in college a friend of mine and I got together and we actually started a jewelry um, brand so I've always been creative I've always loved to do things with my hands but I didn't ever think that I'll take the creative route I um went into corporate work and then I lost my job because my company went under and um, for a period of time I was just um, at home not knowing what to do and I was very um, in a bad um, place and I started um, picking up creativity again. I started doing things with my hand which I I had always loved to do. So I was um, making I was using a heat press to make um, designs on um, little things like baby clothes and stuff like that for people. And this family friend had heard that I was doing that and they approached me to make um, handkerchiefs for them, 100 handkerchiefs um, for for party favor. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I realized at that time that I didn't have the, um, I wasn't going to be able to use the heat press to make the handkerchiefs. I could, but um, because the handkerchiefs would be washed so many times, I didn't think it was the right um, tool to use. And I knew that monogramming it using embroidery would be a better option because my mom had always had an embroidery machine when I was growing up. So I knew that. However, I didn't own a machine. I didn't own a sewing machine at the time. So, <laughs> so I went online and then I Googled it and I found out how much it would cost to create 100 handkerchiefs. And I told him, like, I mean, I, I, I created an invoice and I gave it to him and I said, you have to pay upfront. You have to uh, give me the full money upfront. I didn't tell him why, but I told him that this is the cost that you have to pay upfront. <laughs> and he, he, he was um, willing to pay. He paid me. I took the money, bought myself a sewing machine, an embroidery machine, and did it for him. And after that, I had a sewing machine sitting around for 
a while, a long while, I was still doing my um, heat press. But then I kept looking at the machine and wondering, what do I do with a sewing machine? And that's how I ended up with this. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I ended up with this. I started Googling and looking at Pinterest and looking at what I could do with a sewing machine. I didn't want to make clothes. I knew that, but um, that's how I ended up here. So what was one of like the first projects after that handkerchief, the original handkerchief project um, that you worked on? I think the first project was I made, because I was at that point, I was still making things for babies. So I think I made, um, I think I started making um, baby blankets, but embroidering the names onto the blankets because now I had um sewing machine, an embroidery machine that could do that. And then I took a class at my um, local cold shop where I bought the sewing machine. So I took an um, embroidery class to help me um, learn how to use the features of the embroidery machine. And during that class, that's when I found out that they had um, classes for quilting. So I signed up for their basic quilting class. And I did that. I had a wonderful um, teacher uh, and she taught the basic quilting class. So that's when I created my first quilt. And then I took the next class, which okay. was a pattern. Uh, the first one was um, Real Fence, I believe, was the, um, was the, f the, the, the first mm -hmm. one that I did. And then the next one was a pattern by someone that they had in the store and they were selling the pattern and teaching how to, and I did that. So I, so those were the two quilting lessons, classes that I have taken up to today. Those are the two um, lessons that I have taken up to today. <laughs> However, after I, I took those lessons, I, and I, I made some quotes from that, but I realized that I didn't want to follow patterns. I wanted to make them myself. Mm -hmm. So I bought the EQ um, software and I um, electric quilt software and I started designing my own um, quilts and I made a couple of baby quilts um, that way, but um, I still didn't feel like I was having enough room to express myself using the um, electric quilt software. I wanted to um, do it myself, you know? So, so I branched out from using the um, quilt software and started doing it myself, cutting the pieces, improvising, going as I, um, making it as I go. And I learned how to fuse very early in my journey. And I never looked back. I, I didn't piece anymore. I didn't want to piece anymore. I didn't want to measure stuff. I, I just wanted to. <laughs> So that's how it started. So it's safe to assume that when you first, with your first few designs on EQ8, um, the designs were a bit more traditional then? Um, I would say traditional, but not really. Like I made, because I was still making things for babies, like I made um, a robot with um, like the sports, right? I made a robot. I made like a basket of flowers. So it was like all the time I made things in the center and then with a plain background in the, uh, in the background. So it wasn't like um, the traditional piece um, quilting. It was always 
a subject with a background. Yeah. So once you, um, you mentioned that once you started using um, fusing, you never looked back from there. How did, how did you start creating these portraits? Was it just like happenstance or was, you know? I, when I started, I, like you said, I didn't have any um, focus. So I did everything. I created um, landscapes. I created abstracts. I created portraits. I, I, had, I created a whole body of work. And in 2014, I put I created a website and posted all of that on it. And that was my beginning. So I was exploring all the different um, genres of art. And then I went back to portraiture because of my own um, journey with my hair. I had met a woman um, during a campus tour with my, my daughter. And she had she she wore her hair in a way that made me feel like I could also wear my natural hair and stop using the chemicals that I had um, grown up using for my hair. And I wanted to be able to embrace my natural hair. And I always wanted to do that, but I didn't have the confidence to do it until I saw this woman um, as as the in the lobby, <laughs> she was just sitting in the lobby minding her own business, and <laughs> she had no idea about me. But I just saw her, and there's something about her appearance. Just looking at her made me feel like this is how I want to wear my hair. And so I approached her, talked to her. She was very generous. She was uh, really nice. We exchanged uh, phone numbers later on coached me on what to do with my hair and all that. So I wanted to express that journey um, in art. And that's how I started creating. I created a body of work called um, Drawn With Threads. And I had a solo show about that. And I had all these hair styles, uh, the woman, the woman that I had seen, the way she wore her hair, I created a piece of work like that and other um, pieces of work. So that's how it started. And so it was my own personal journey um, about hair and I wanted to express that. And then after that, when I did the solo show, I met so many people who were like, oh, you just speaking my language. You just expressing what I was thinking about it, how I feel about my hair and all that. And I couldn't stop. It was supposed to be just like one project, you know, because I had different genres, <laughs> right? So it was just supposed to be that project and that was it. And before I knew it, I, I just couldn't stop. And then in 2020, when we had um, this national discussion about race and um, social justice, these uh, students started creating these IG pages about um, being Black in, in school. And, what, and I read a lot of those um, pages. And what's struck me was that the girls, the black girls, what they talked about most was their hair. And I was surprised. I was surprised that it was it was so prevalent. It was something that mattered so much in such young children. And so I just couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. So I created, <laughs> I created work um, to address that issue, those issues in, in schools. And I just kept going and going, and here I am. <laughs> 
So just going back to your process, you mentioned that, you know, your work is centered around black hair and you spend a lot of time in making sure that that is represented properly in your work. Could you walk us through what are some of the techniques that you use and design considerations when ensuring that that is reflected? Yeah, black hair um, grows differently from other types of hair. Black hair does not grow downwards. We usually say black hair defies gravity, it grows upwards, right? <laughs> so um, <laughs> so when I'm designing, I'm thinking about all these things, that um, the hair is not long and silky like um, Caucasian hair. So I'm not going to represent it in that way. I'm thinking about the texture of the hair. The hair is not smooth. It's textured. It's not um, straight. It's coily. So I have to think about all of these when I'm designing. And I use a lot of um, stitching to, to um, portray that because then I can add the texture. I can add the, um, the coiliness with line. I can use the stitch line to create the quails. And so those are some of the um, design considerations when I'm, I'm creating the work. I, I don't want the work to be to not look like black hair. I want it to look like black hair. So I'm thinking, what is the best way to portray that texture? Because it has a lot of texture. It's not smooth. So what is the best way to portray that texture? And um, free motion quilting really helps me do that in um, different ways. And are you using the same like thread weight or are you working with different thread weights in within one work? Currently, I, I mainly use one thread weight. It's a very interesting question that you ask <laughs> because just recently, <laughs> um, the, <laughs> the piece that I've been working on, I tried um, different thread weights. I, I tried heavier thread weights. And I've been thinking mm -hmm. about trying heavier thread weights because um, it takes longer to fill the space using a light, mm -hmm. um, a lighter thread space, uh, thread weight. And that's what I've been using all these years, mm -hmm. right? I used polyester um, 60 weight thread, which is very, very light. Mm -hmm. However, I've been thinking that um, if I use heavier thread, I'll be able to fill up um, shade a space um, faster. So I did experiment with that. Um, I'm still experimenting. I just started <laughs> yeah. experimenting. With that. <laughs> so um, I don't have I don't have a a conclusion about it, but it's, it's something that I'm interested in exploring because I I feel like if I use heavier um, weight threads, it will. Um, it will fill up the space faster and I wouldn't have to stitch so uh, for so many hours to yeah. get that space yeah. filled. But I have considerations about weight of the of the work as well. Because I use so much thread, um, by the time I'm done with the work, it's heavy. The work is actually Yeah, really I didn't even think of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Wow, yeah. So I'm still experimenting. I love to experiment because um, everything is... A matter of finding out how will it, how will it work and then redirecting your practice into a different um, direction. So, yeah, that's 
fascinating. That sounds yeah. really interesting. I, I didn't even think about Threadwood add weight to the project at all. <laughs> It does. It does add a lot of weight to the project. And if you look at the thread snips afterwards, mm. when I'm done sewing a, um, a project, and you look at how much I snipped off, you yeah. can just imagine how much went in. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. We've read that your portraits often start off first as a digital colored um uh, digital colored drawing, and then you have it printed on large fabric. Can you kind of walk us through the process of like from ideation through to completing? So um, some of my original, the earlier um, images were just drawings from imagination, like this one behind me, Gilly, is just a, a drawing for imagination. But as I um, continued creating portraits, I started using reference photos. So this one is a reference photo. And so I take a reference photo and I draw it. I always draw in black and white first. So I draw it first in um, black and white to get the different values so I shade everything in grayscale. And then after I've done, I'm done shading in grayscale, then I decide where the colors are going to be. I usually don't start with a color scheme, like a set color scheme. I just put one color on and one color leads to another and another and another. And before I know it, um, I get to a point I'm like, enough stop <laughs> stop <laughs> stop adding the colors now and just start repeating so I put on the colors to a point and then uh, when I feel like I've had enough colors I stop and then I start um, repeating the colors that are already on the canvas and so when I'm done with all of that um, I start with the face all the time when I'm done with the face I do the hair or whatever hairstyle, if it's a hat or a head wrap or whatever it is, that's next. And then the fabrics um, for the clothes, I design the fabrics for the clothes. So each um, person has a new pattern for their clothes. And then the background is the final um, piece. So I, I do like a four step process, face, hair, clothes, mm -hmm. and background. And when all that is done, I send it out to Spoonflower and then they um, print it out on fabric for me. Oh, but yeah. um, stitching takes a long time yeah. to um, yeah. do. So um, it takes me like over 100 hours to stitch. So my um, drawings lag behind uh, my stitching. So I will be stitching something that I drew maybe a year ago. So currently I'm stitching mm -hmm. things that I drew um, a year ago. And what I'm drawing right now, I'm not going to be able to stitch till maybe next year or two years after that. So my stitching skills are ahead of my drawing skills when you see my work. So what you're seeing currently is like my current stitching skills, but it's not my current drawing skills. So when I get a printing back, then I stitch. And because of that lag in time, when mm -hmm. I'm stitching, there are things that I no longer want <laughs> in the drawing. <laughs> you know? So I I use the thread to create, to like change things up the way I want it. And so the thread I use for texture, 
for details and to bring it together the way I want it. And when you mentioned that you, um, when you normally start you a new project, you add a color first, and then you kind of just go with the flow and feel, um, you know, feel what the work is telling you. Um, do you, when you pick out first the first color that you put on there, what do you normally revisit the same colors? Do you find that you're always drawn to the same or similar colors first? That makes sense. <laughs> I, yes, yes. I usually, um, I'm drawn to blues, oranges, uh, magenta. Mm. Um, before I I got into doing visual art, there were colors that I didn't like that I would say, oh, I don't like that color. But now I use all the colors. There's no color that um, I can say that I don't like. I use all the colors and they all work together nicely. And are you, when you're doing your stitching, are you stitching on your domestic machine or do you have a long arm machine or something else? <laughs> I recently got a handy quilter maxi long arm. Ooh. However, I'm doing, yeah, yeah, that's, that's so much fun. I'm still playing with it, but um, I, up until now, I have done all the stitching on my domestic machine. Yep. Okay. Oh, wow. So you've had your work featured in various exhibitions at, at different galleries. Could you tell us more about um, the process from like creating works, preparing for the event, to hosting it, or how, how you approach curating a, a show? So I enter my work into um, both group shows and then I do um, solo shows as well. In group shows, it's usually just um, looking for a show that I feel aligns with my work and entering the show, uh, putting my work into the show. And the first thing for shows, I think, is capturing your work onto um, film, onto the camera. Right, I think that's the first thing. So I try to um, photograph everything that I make when I make it, because going back to try and photograph is a whole different project. Mm. So when I finish a, a piece of work, I photograph the work that I do a full image, detailed images. I do the back, and then I catalog it um, on my computer. So each uh, work has a folder with all the images. Then I write artist statements for each of them, what I was thinking about, um, the idea, the concept, uh, the story that I want to tell with that piece. So I do all of that for each piece that I create. And that makes it easy to enter it into shows. So when it comes to entering into shows, it's not I'm not now going to go back and try and um, say what was I thinking and try that's all done mm -hmm. and so that's how I, I get the work into shows when I'm doing a solo show then I have to think about what is the theme for the show mm -hmm. what do I want to say with this show and so then I write a statement for that show as well and that statement for the show will um, direct me to which pieces am I going to put in the show? Which pieces um, tell that story that I'm, I'm going to be saying with that show? So then I look at the work that I have and then I start selecting the pieces that 
would fit into the story or the narrative that I'm trying to tell with a show. And sometimes, um, although the, the pieces might fit into the story, they might not work together next to each other in the, mm. in the show. So it's, it's good to um, like put them together on a screen, have images on a screen and look at them to decide that these pieces go together. And um, some places will give you a layout of the venue. Mm -hmm. So I use that as well. I go in and like put pieces on the walls on the layout digitally to see how many pieces can fit into um, that venue. So that's, it's a lot of preparation. It depends on the venue. Sometimes you have help from maybe the arts director um, as the venue and so that makes it a little bit easier other times as you're by yourself and you have to do all of that <laughs> <laughs> so not only you're like the art director you're also the maker and the marketer yeah <laughs> it's a lot, a yep. lot going on yep. for you. <laughs> a lot going on and if you're doing a group show you have to package it and ship mm. it to the show track it make sure that it gets back to you in good condition and that sounds nerve-wracking. Do you have any yeah. upcoming shows planned for the rest of the year? Yes, I have a show um, coming up in um, March. It's a, a four-female figurative artist show in um, Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I'm very excited about that. I got invited to that. I saw the invite in my email, and I was just so excited. Um, the <laughs> other three artists, <laughs> because it's like... All the people are doing something similar to what I do, but in different forms. The other three artists, two of them are painters, and one is a sculptor. But they are all into cool. figurative art. So cool. it's going to be really cool. I can't wait to see their works all put together, all of our works put together in the, uh, in the gallery. Um, I'm excited. And that's going to be in Bridgeport, Connecticut in March? Bridgeport, Connecticut from March 19th, I believe to somewhere in April, about a month, four weeks. Show. Oh, okay, nice. That's awesome. So a few years ago, you self-published a book called Drawn with Threads. Could you tell us a little more about the book and what inspired you to write it? So that was the beginning of my arts journey. And I was so amazed at how far you can go by just dedicating yourself to your creativity. Like I said, I had always been creative, but... I had shoved it to the side because I had always thought about it. The way society teaches us to think about it is like a hobby, something that you do on the side. It's not um, something you spend your uh, precious time on. You go look for a job and you do the job. So that's that's how I had always thought about my creativity. And I was surprised after a few years of um, this art journey, how far I had developed my skills. And I felt like there are so many people out there with skills that if they could just hear that all you have to do is make time and develop these skills and you would go, you, you can go anywhere with these skills. And I wanted to like get on the rooftops and shout and tell everybody, <laughs> don't sit on your skills. Don't, don't sit on these creative skills that you have. They are not 
and important. They, you can develop them into something really beautiful. And so that was why I wrote that book. I just wanted to tell people, use your skills, use your skills. <laughs> and did that inform, we also know that you offer creative coaching services. Did that, did um, starting to offer coaching services coincide with your launch of the book or was it before or after? It was after. It was after. I was I was still trying to find ways to reach people and tell people, use your skills. I'm like, I'm here. I, I can help you. Use your skills. All you have to do is just, I have this um, saying that I say, I said, make time, create your best work, and share it with the world. I love that. That's totally my... My philosophy too. (laughs) (laughs) And then for someone that's like experiencing a creative block, can you share us like, you know, with our listeners, a couple of your um, tips to overcome that funk and unlock that creative, um, you know, that full creative full potential? I will say that you should um, step away from what you're doing for a little while and break what you're doing into little bits we get overwhelmed when we see a big project so if you realize when I was talking about drawing I said I do it in four stages I break everything up because when you break things up it's easier to um, approach it It doesn't look so daunting but when you have this big project that you want to create you look at it and you're like where do I start from and that can create a block But if you break it up into little, little bits, you can finish that little bit in a short while, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't look so daunting. And that doesn't create a mental block for you. You will be able to address it because you know you can do it. But if you look at it as a whole, that can create a mental block for you. Also, a lot of us are doing this part-time. We don't have like hours on end to create and so that is also um, a barrier. And in order to overcome that barrier, you think about doing the work in small chunks of time. And the small chunks go with the small bits of the project. So if you have like 20 minutes a day is all you can afford, then break your work into 20-minute size pieces so that within the 20 minutes you can finish something. And you feel good about yourself. And when you feel good about yourself, it will encourage you to do it again. But if you don't feel good about yourself, you're not able to finish it, what you plan to do, you don't feel good about yourself and you don't want to do it again. So those are some of the tips that will help you overcome a, a, a creative block. I love are, that. Yeah, those are great. Yeah, those tips. are really good. <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on to rapid fire, could you share some of your quilting goals for this year? Um, I'm creating... A, a new body of work that I'm excited about. And I drew, like I said, I draw like a year ahead. So I drew these um, starting last year or maybe at the end of 2020. I can't even remember. But I, I started drawing them a while back and it's time to stitch them. And I'm excited about them because I think that um, Each year, my style changes a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm excited to show this um, new style that I've been working in. So that's what I'm excited about. 
And I think it's going to take me all year to stitch through them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to see this. And I'm so excited to see the different thread weights that you've been experimenting and Good look really good. <laughs> so on that note, it is time to move on to our rapid fire quilty questions. Are you ready, Clara? Yes, I am. <laughs> Anna, why don't you kick us off? All right. What is your favorite time of day to quilt? Day. Although I quilt mostly in the night. And where do you sew? I sew in my basement. I have a, a studio in my basement. And do you wear shoes or slippers or socks while sewing? Bare feet during summer. And socks or um, slippers in the winter. And do you listen to music, Netflix podcasts, or silence while you're sewing? Um, podcasts or um, Audible. And do you have a current favorite that you're listening to? Um, last week I was listening to the the Compound Effect on Audible. It was a brilliant book. And we read somewhere that you're a big tea drinker. So what's your favorite tea to drink? I like uh, teas that are infused with fruits. I like, um, I think my favorite would be Wild Sweet Orange by Tazza. Ooh, sounds good. I do like about now. I like like their fruit teas. They're really good. Um, Yeah, yeah. I love, yeah, yeah. And what's your favorite snack while quilting? Um, if If I'm not drinking tea, then it's probably something nutty. I like nuts. And does your long arm quilting machine have a name? And if so, what is it called? (laughs) She's Mimi. (laughs) Mimi for... What's your favorite color? That's hard. Um, I would say blue, but I... I love, it's like asking, what's your favorite child? I I love um, blue. I love orange. Um... I use magenta too. If I have to choose one, it will be hard. Maybe blue. (laughs) What color fabric do you use the most? I use a rainbow. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) So what's your favorite quilt shop? I love this quilt shop here in Connecticut. It's um, Kate So Modern in um, Guilford, Connecticut. It's a wonderful quilt shop. And the owner, Kate, is, is just fabulous what sewing notion couldn't you live without um my thread snips (laughs) my thread snips and um a self-threading needle because I bury the threads after I snip them so I think to the two of them yeah and what's your favorite brand of quilting gloves I'm just uh, recently trying a new brand that I got on Amazon it's called Rexchi R-E-X-C-H-I. And mm. I I like the idea that is um it doesn't have the fingertips. So oh. I just bought these oh. and I'm trying those. Yeah. So Ooh. that you can um use your fingers while you're you're clothes thread a needle and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Instead yeah, of that's having handy. to take them off. Yeah. Yeah. That's really um, handy. Pick one designing, drawing, or free motion quilting. That's hard. <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> I love all three. <laughs> um, drawing and quilting 50-50. And do you machine or hand bind your pieces? I face my pieces. I don't bind okay. them. And I 
use machine to face and then I use hand to um, tuck it in, into the bag. I need to learn how to do that. <laughs> um, do you pin, spray, or thread-based? Um, I used to use feasible to baste. Now that I have my handy quilt on Maxi, I'm using the Maxi to baste. Very jealous. Of yeah, I know. It's like really jealous. <laughs> we don't have the space for that yeah. in an apartment. <laughs> I'm trying to convince my husband we have the space. We don't. <laughs> what's your favorite part of the quilting process? Stitching. And what's your least favorite part of the quilting process? Putting the layers together. And what's one bad sewing habit you wish you could give up? Not using a thimble when burying the threads. I'm not good at using it. I don't know how to use it. And so I I destroy my fingertips. <laughs> and I'm yeah, learning I'm not the how only to one. Use. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just feel it's so awkward. I'm learning it? how to do it, but uh, I'm not good at doing it. I feel like I have a, an extra digit when I put it on and I'm very clumsy with it. So what's your favorite recent make? Uh, favorite recent make? I would say uh, Mama's Hopes and Dreams. Um, and how many quotes are in your work in progress pile right now? Um, I don't have a work in progress. I start and I finish. So, but this year I'm trying to do uh, multiple projects at the same time. So I'm working on mm. like five pieces at the same time wow. and they are in different stages, but they are all going to be finished at the same time. So I don't usually do work in progress. I start from beginning, I finish before I go to the next one. See, I wish I had that focus. Monotasker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you have any other interests or hobbies? I love to read. I read a lot and um, that's my main hobby. I used to crochet. I haven't done it in a long while. My mom taught me how to crochet when I was little and I loved doing it. And I've been thinking about um, picking it up again. So. Yeah. Uh, before we sign off, do you have any fun projects on the horizon that you can share with us? Yeah, so I'm creating um, a body of work for the upcoming show in in Bridgeport, and there are five pieces in the in the in that series, and I'm excited about it because it's a little different from what I have done previously. So, yeah, awesome. So we need to wrap today up and we hope that you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to contact any of us, we can be most easily found on our Instagram accounts. I'm at Broadcloth Studio. Wendy. I am the dot weekend quilter. Anna. I am at Wax and Wing Studio. And Clara. I'm Clara Narty. Or you can go to our podcast account at quilt.buzz or our website quiltbuzzpodcast.com for our previous episodes and updates on upcoming guests. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we hope that you subscribe to the show and tell your quilty friends about us too. And if you have a moment to share what you loved by writing a review on your podcast provider of choice, it would make our day. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. 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 Woo! <laughs>